And now, uh, by day, I work for an engineering company and do uh, HR and recruitment for them. And um, by night, I watch West Wing and try to beat my husband at board games, which some success, I have to say. Um, before we dive into this gold mine of a passage, would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your presence here with us this morning. Thank you that you are close to us, nearby. And thank you, Father, that your word is living and active this morning, that there's as much power in your word today as there has ever been. And we pray that you would make it alive to us. We pray that um, by the power of your spirit, you would use it to change us, to make us more like you. Holy Spirit, we invite you to, be, um, to work in us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, well, for some of us, this might be a very familiar passage. I'm sure some of us don't really know it that well. But for some of us, we're, we're quite familiar with this. We come back to this particular passage um, more or less once a year here at HT, usually more than once a year. Um, so for some of us, we're, uh, you know, this is familiar territory. But why do we come back to it over and over again? Why do you go back to a restaurant? Because it's good. We come back to this again and again because it's good. It's rich and inspiring and triumphant somehow. This passage is about what human beings look like when the power of God is poured out over a whole bunch of them all at once. Stuart spoke last week about Pentecost, the world-changing event where God poured his spirit out over um, the followers of Jesus who were patiently waiting, obe obediently waiting um, for the power to come. Jesus had said, wait for the power, and they were faithfully doing that. And uh, I, I like to think that there was, there was one of them who was like, so what are we waiting for exactly? How do we know when it's going to, and then it happened, They're like, never mind. <laughs> it came in power. It was undeniable. It completely transformed them. The Holy Spirit was lavished on them. And the earth had never seen anything like it. Human history had never seen anything like this. No unity like this. No freedom and forgiveness like this. No group of people so full of the explosive power and love of God. And when we read this, it should send shivers down our spine. It should make our hair stand on end. These are the first days and weeks of the church. This is our beginning, the joyful, hopeful, powerful, unstoppable beginning of the church. So we come back to this passage because it's good to remind ourselves of what it is that was like in the beginning and to see, remind ourselves what it's like when God pours his spirit out over his people, what happens? So what happens? What happens when God's power zaps his people like this? Zap being a theologically technical term. Um, let's look at just two things. This passage is, um, well, it's a preacher's dream slash nightmare because there's so much in it, right? You kind of look at it and think, oh my goodness, how are we going to talk about all of it? So we're going to pick out two things, okay? The first, one of the things we're going to look at, what happens when the power comes? They become devoted with their time. They become devoted with their time. And the second thing we're going to look at is that they become generous with their stuff. Okay? Devoted with their time, generous with their stuff. So the first one then. Devoted with their time. Did you notice that they met every day? 
seems a bit keen to me, doesn't it? You know, you kind of think, oh, if I've got three church events in a week, that's a, that's a heavy week. But they were like, every day. They're committing their time to each other. They're devoting their time to a few things. They're devoting their time to each other, to eating together. The passage calls it the fellowship, so that's one thing. They're devoting their time to that. They're devoting their time to the apostles' teaching. They are hungry for every last thing that they can remember that Jesus said and did, and they're going over it again and again. They can't get enough of the stories and teachings of Jesus. They're devoting their time to that. And they're devoting their time to prayer. Prayer was a fundamental part of their life. And part of me thinks... I mean, what were they praying for? I mean, haven't they got, isn't this like the best time in all of human history to be a Christian? Isn't this what in our most ambitious prayer meetings we pray for? Miracles like this, thousands of people coming to know Jesus like this. This is what we pray for. They have everything and they're still praying. It was something they devoted their time to. Now, these three things that I could just go through, they devoted their time to the fellowship, to, to the teaching, to prayer. And I could go through all three of these things and say, well, how are we doing? How are we doing? Are we devoting our time to each other? Is church an essential part of our life? Or is it just kind of a nice to have when we have time? Are we devoted to each other? I say, are we devoted to what is the apostles' teaching? What's the scripture for us? Do we get into it every day? Are we hungry for it? Are we trying to feed ourselves with it consistently? I'd say, how are we doing when it comes to prayer? If I was to look at your prayer life, is devoted a word that would come to mind? And I could go through all three of these things, and I suspect that the answer to all three of them is, well, we're not really where we would like to be. But I mean, come on. Of course they were like this. They had the Holy Spirit more than anyone has ever had. I mean, like, of course, of course. If I had the Holy Spirit like that, of course I would be devoted with my time. Of course I'd be praying all the time. Of course. As if the power of the Holy Spirit is all that we really need and our efforts don't really enter the equation. Sometimes we hear it said, and it's absolutely true, that without the Holy Spirit, we can't do anything. But that's not to say that, um, that we shouldn't do anything when the Holy Spirit comes. That the p- presence and power of the Holy Spirit and our own efforts are mutually exclusive. Because they're not. The Holy Spirit works in our efforts, in our discipline. Um, let me give you an illustration of this. Um, I, uh, I had just one of those days this week where, um, you know, you make a tea in the morning and then you realize you haven't put the tea bag in. And then you kind of get to mid-morning and you realize that your jumper's inside out, you know, one of those days. And I made my befuddled way to lunchtime and uh, got my soup and you kind of went into the kitchen at work and kind of put it in the bowl and went to the microwave. And it's a new microwave, so it takes me like five minutes to work out how to use the microwave because they all have different buttons. Finally, it's going two minutes, perfect. I go off, get something to drink, come back. Realized that I'd missed out the essential step of putting the soup in the microwave. So we have a running microwave and a cold bowl of soup. All that power and nothing to work on. We gotta give the Holy Spirit something to work on. We gotta give him time. We gotta get up early in the morning and say, you know what, I'm gonna pray. And the Holy Spirit is gonna meet me and turn my prayer into something meaningful. I gotta give the give time to the word. I gotta read it. And then he's gonna work in that. We have to give him something to work on. They were devoted with their time. They were devoted with their time. And the second thing is um, their generosity. They uh, became generous with their stuff. I mean, quite radically. 
they were selling possessions. They're financially generous. We know a couple chapters later on in Acts that they were actually, some of them were selling property, you know, land. That, that is a, those are significant financial decisions, and they're giving generously to the fellowship, to those in need. And I just want to make two observations about their generosity, um, just two. The first is that they gave freely to each other. When I have pictured this in the past, you know, this like, oh, what would it have been like and kind of picture it in your head. I'm picturing like 50 or so people, you know, they all fit in one room and they know each other. They've journeyed the highs and lows together, you know, for years. And that's where the giving is happening. And there is that group of people, and that is true to a certain degree, but then there were 3,000 who joined in a day. But they're not sharing just with the people that they've known for ages. They're sharing with everyone who has need. Anyone who, from the outside, looks like little more than a stranger. But the power of God has come on them and so transformed them that, that now they're brothers and sisters. And they're making significant financial sacrifices for the fellowship. They're giving freely, not just to the people they've been in home groups with for decades, but for little more than strangers, they're giving freely, which is, to me, a little bit radical. Um, the second thing is that they're, um, they're being proactive and actually doing it. They're actually doing it. I have to say, um, this is what I find the most challenging. When I hear sermons about giving and generosity, um, I don't usually disagree. I usually listen and think, oh yeah, that sounds great. That makes sense to me. I want to be like that. And I hear good ideas of how people have given. I think, yeah, that sounds good. I could do that. And I make a little plan. Or sometimes I even have good ideas of my own, would you believe it? And I think, oh, I'll do that and make a little plan. Where I most consistently fall down when it comes to giving is not the desire to. It's not even the ideas to. It's just the, the actual doing. I put it on a to-do list. And then, you know, there's a dozen other things and I forget. Or the physical act of logging on to my online banking and setting up a sending order just doesn't really ever happen. I never get to the post office when I mean to send the thing. And sometimes, you know, I'll get as far as writing the card and then never go to the post office. I just fall down at the physical act of giving. And they don't. They take their stuff, you know, some of this they've had for a long time. They're selling property that's been in their family for generations, and they take it, they go to the, who, wherever it is, they haggle a price. Things change hand. They take the money, they bring the money, they give it to the fellowship. They're physically doing it. The act of it isn't, isn't what they trip over like I do. And I find that really challenging because I know that my good intentions to give, my best laid plans, don't help anyone. My intention to give does not feed the hungry or clothe the naked. My good intentions to give to HT uh, do not pay for the heating or the equipment or the salaries. It's the physical act of giving that at the end of the day is the fullness of my act. And I just, that is where I fall down. And they don't. And I find that challenging. So they become generous, radically generous with their stuff. Are you with me so far? Great. So they've become devoted with their time and generous with their stuff. Both of these things 
um, are actually a sign of something else. They're symptoms of something else. Uh, something else has happened. And what has happened under the hood is this. They thought differently about what was theirs. They thought differently about what was theirs, what, what they would have called their time, their money, their stuff, their attention. They had signed over somehow, and it just wasn't theirs anymore in the same way. They had seen and somehow understood what Jesus had done, and in love and gratitude and hope, signed everything over to him, that he could have anything he liked. Um, let me illustrate it this way. Uh, I've done a fair amount of babysitting in my time, and uh, there's, there's one thing that you always hope to hear at the start of a babysitting evening, right? There are some things, you know, it's like you get there, the kids are already in bed, tick, excellent. Okay, the next thing is, oh, here's the code for the Wi-Fi, tick, excellent. Netflix account, tick, this is going well. What you're really waiting for is the line, help yourself to anything in the fridge. Yes, yes. But if I hear that, I am crossing some kind of uh, unspoken code if I go to the fridge and I see that beautiful Waitrose cheesecake unopened and I take it out and I open it and I cut myself a massive slice. That's cutting some kind of some kind of line there. Or if I get the bottle of wine that looks very expensive as if it's for an occasion, I just pop it open, pour myself a generous glass. So I've, I've crossed some kind of line here, you know. If I really want to play it safe, I kind of look for something that's, you know, not like it's for something. Or I just kind of play it safe and take the Jaffa cakes that are obviously left next to the kettle. <laughs> when we say, help yourself to anything in the fridge, we think, oh, but there are some things that are for stuff, and I won't take that. When they said to Jesus, you can help yourself to anything, they meant anything. When we say to Jesus, you can have anything you like, often we have earmarked things in our head for something. You know, that, that bit of money, that's for the holiday I really need, that's for, you know, the deposit for the house, that's for something else, and this this time in the summer, that's for this. And when we say, Jesus, you can have anything you like, we just hope he doesn't pick those bits. We don't really mean for him to ask for those things. But they said to him, you can have anything you like. Now, it might be that when I say that, um, when I say, uh, you know, you can have anything, Lord, but maybe not, you know, just this shelf. That you'd say, that sounds like me. Yana, that sounds like me. I struggle to say to Jesus, you can have anything you like. There are two things that I would say to you. The first is, of course, of course. It, it is going to be difficult. It's really easy to give something away that we don't care about, right? That's easy. You know, we, we've, we've done that bit already. That's fine. It's really difficult when Jesus puts his finger on something that we were relying on for whatever reason. But when Jesus asks for something that we were relying on, he is inviting us to rely on him. And that does not come naturally to us. We're not really wired that way. It's hard for us to do that. Of course, it is going to be difficult. Of course, 
in some ways, it's supposed to be. But the second thing I want to say to you is this. Having said, of course, it's going to be difficult. It should also be easy. It should also be easy. Let me explain. I suspect that the degree to which we can give to Jesus pretty well matches what we feel Jesus has given to us. Let me say that again. I suspect the degree to which we can give to Jesus pretty nearly matches what we think Jesus has given us. We respond more or less in proportion to what we see from Jesus. If you're struggling to give everything to him, if you can just say, well, you can more or less have this fridge, this shelf of the fridge, you're probably only seeing in part what Jesus has done for you. It is most likely a problem of knowing on a personal level what Jesus has done for you. If we think that Jesus has been helpful, you know, he's a good moral guide, he's given us a sense of morality, maybe he's given us a sense of acceptance, you know, but his help is uh, occasional, then what we're going to give in return is occasional. If we think even that he has forgiven us, you know, but in a kind of cloudy, vague kind of way, or he's kind of tidied us up, forgiven our misdemeanors, and, and that's it. Then we're going to struggle to give our lives for him. Let me say it clearly. If you struggle to offer your time and resources freely to Jesus, you most likely lack the wonder of knowing what he has done for you. Here's a quick acid test, okay? From the great Tim Keller. It's payday. Excellent. You get your paycheck, you open it up, you don't say, this is amazing. I never thought this would ever happen to me. This is the most amazing thing. I never, I never saw this coming. This is incredible. No, no, no. You say, that looks about right to me. I worked for that. I deserve that. This, make, this, this looks about right to me. If I tell you that God loves you, that he has paid the highest price for you, that he has been unnecessarily but persistently kind to you, do you think, yeah, that sounds about right to me? Or does part of you think, I am not even sure I can believe that. That is almost too good to be true. Some of us have had moments, and you don't necessarily have very many of them in life, but when you do, you never forget. When the love of God isn't just something you know, but you know it, it goes right through you like lightning through a lightning rod. And when that happens, you can say to Jesus, you can have whatever you like. You can have whatever you like. That is what had happened to them. The Holy Spirit had revealed to them all that God had done for them. And they disbelieved for joy. And as a result, their generosity was, it was their second nature. So does the love of God surprise you? Has it ever? Does the persistent kindness of God astonish you? Let me tell you something. We will never be able to give like them. We will never be able to live like them unless we know what they knew.
unless the love of God astonishes us too. So, hear it again this morning. God loves you. Not the, just the idea of you, or you as one of a crowd, but you personally. He has loved you from the beginning. He knows your story. He knows your very best days and your very worst. He has loved you from the beginning, even when you didn't care two pence about him. And he will always love you. And he so loved you. He so loved you that he died for your brokenness. He sees it all. He knows it all. He wants to forgive you. He wants to forgive you. He wants, to, he wants you to be with him. He wants to lead you through life. He wants to give you life that lasts forever. He wants to save you. Jesus lived and died for you. He waits for you. Let the love of God astonish us too. Amen? In closing, I want to pray for us. And very simply, what I'm going to pray is that at some point, maybe this morning now, or maybe sometime in the week, maybe even when we're having a bad day and our jumper's on back to front, at some point, the love of God astonishes us. The forgiveness of God amazes us. And that when that happens, generosity becomes our second nature and that people would flock to us out of curiosity and envy. So that's what I'm going to pray. Do you want to stand with me? And we're just going to pray that the Holy Spirit would do this now. So just kind of stand and settle. But I also want to say, there may be some of us here this morning, um, and you've been hearing this, and basically you want to give your life to Jesus. You've never really done that properly, but you see what he has given you, you see his love for you, and you think, you know what, Jesus, you can have anything. You can have all of me. There is a line in the sand, and now I say, you can have my life. You've never really said that properly, and you want to this morning. When, when I pray now, I just encourage you, if that's you, to put your hand up while we're all praying as a sign to God, really, to say, you can have, you can have my life. And if that is you, just go for it. Don't let the moment pass. Don't let the physical act be the thing that you trip over, all right? I'm just going to pray for all of us. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for your love for us. That even when we were far off and we didn't care, you came after us, that you have persistently and faithfully loved us. Thank you for all the promises you've made to us that you keep every day and will keep all the days of our lives. Holy Spirit, I invite you now as you come in your power and help us know the love of God. Holy Spirit, would you come, would you open the eyes of our hearts, help us see right through us that we know that God is for us, that he loves us, that he wants to save us, to forgive us. 
Father, would you help us see it? And in response to say, Lord, you can have, you can have everything. Help yourself to anything. And Father, we pray. We pray that the love of God would astonish us all the days of our lives. We pray that generosity like we see here in the early church would be our second nature. And we pray, Father, that people would flock to us out of curiosity and envy. We pray, Father, that you would add to our number daily those who are being saved. That this kind of power and love and generosity we would live in our day, in our country, in our city. Holy Spirit, thank you that this is your work. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.